I'd like for you to take your Bibles and open with me to Acts chapter Acts chapter 19. We have been preaching revival for quite a few months now. We believe that uh, revival starts as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost moves upon the Word of God. And so we're going to share some things in that light this morning as we continue. I've entitled the message today, Holy Ghost Growth and Development. I want to take you to Acts chapter 19 at verse number 20, where we find these words. It says, So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Isn't that good? The Holy Ghost brought performance upon the Word. Mighty grew the Word. It began to come into existence and develop where the Word had basically been suppressed. And that really means to increase, to become where it lay dormant. Nothing can grow the Word but the Holy Ghost, for the Holy Ghost is the power that moves the Word of God. When God spoke the worlds into existence, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit moved upon the Word of God. I've said throughout the series of messages that we've preached, the believer can get by without many things, but he cannot get by without Holy Ghost movement and Holy Ghost development. Praise the Lord. Now, let me just say a few things this morning as we get into the message. The Holy Spirit discloses God and His intent. Just think about it. Oftentimes people can read the book, but they don't find anything out in the book because there's really no movement by the Spirit upon that Word. I mean, people often are looking at something that is spiritual and they're trying to just discern it, you know, in the physical. The Word moves. It's Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in revelation of God and His thoughts. Even faith, think about it. The Bible says without faith you can't please God, but if faith doesn't move upon the Word that faith comes by, then how could we possibly please God? So we know it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Ghost that moves upon God's Word. In fact, creation, recreation, salvation, cleansing, righteousness, holiness, healing, sanctification, atonement. I could say all of these things are a result of the Holy Spirit moving upon the Word of God. I'd like to go to John chapter 6. Here in the New Testament, John chapter 6, I've entitled the message, Holy Ghost Growth and Development. I'm going to use a few little thoughts along the line that, you know, we, we know we've seen too many times. I'll tell you, if you look at um, some of the ads they have that the Shriners uh, in uh, Memphis uh, ask for your help and your donation, your pledge. Uh, it's there in that little children's hospital. If there's anything that will break your heart, move you to tears, it's seeing those little children going on with life, even though there is 
has been such tragedy uh, in their life. As far as development, some of them I know must be in their, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, but they're very small. You see their mangled up bodies. You see limbs missing. I, I mean, I just thank God that there is a caring group of people and supporters and we from time to time have supported different things just like that but i told connie the last time we saw that i said we've got to get uh in there with the, with our monthly support because i mean I've, i really feel like the little children you know they're so needful of the help that's come they don't charge them anything they don't ask anything for them they pay their they pay their way to come there and all of this it's, it's really a great it's really a great work but that is uh along the line of growth and development. You may not have been granted everything physically. And we're really not talking about those things that are physical. We're talking about those things that are spiritual. Those things whereby we grow. Those things whereby we develop. And I want to look here in John chapter 3. The Lord is speaking. One verse, verse 6. And he says this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We read that many times in our life. But, but I, I want to emphasize the word born. That is of the flesh is born of the flesh. That is of the Spirit is born of the Spirit. After conception, after time spent in the womb, there is this time of birthing, Jesus said, that which is born. Now, my heart goes out to our sister who comes and sits. Well, she sits on the comfortable pew, but it's not like having her feet kicked up and being in her own home. And sweetheart, we praise you for being being such a good, really, a, a, a good wife, a good mother, and for the Lord blessing you to have another child just in the very near future. So we'll try to make this uh, not very uh, laboring in our message. Huh? Don't say labor. <laughs> but my thought is this. Jesus is talking about that which is born. Praise God. If something is never born, it has died during the process of life in the womb or it has stopped due to abortion. There's many times we certainly understand what physical abortion is about. Josephus wrote about it even in his days right after the days of Christ. He said something in there, there was nothing more cruel than the abortionist knife. And we know that was part of what the military forces did when they went out and, uh, you know, fought in another area. A lot of times they would split the mother's belly open. Not only kill her, but they would kill the baby that was there in the womb. And so our thoughts are this morning is dealing with the thought of birth, certainly the process that brought birth all about, but it's being born Again, when he's talking to uh, Nicodemus here, we know that uh, sometimes uh, uh, life in the even in the mother's womb 
uh, is terminated. Sometimes we know that happens. It, it's just something that goes on inside physically that uh, stops that baby from being born, uh, you know, and, and, and giving the mother and the father great joy. Uh, it's, it's a permanent thing. That child will not exist in life as we know it. Only had life as it was known in the mother's womb. But uh, the Lord is talking to Nicodemus about something that is spiritual. Can I say to you this morning that no man can be birthed in the Spirit without the move of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. It's that wind that moves the Word upon a man's heart. You see, the Holy Ghost is ever working. He is at work. He's seeing that the birthing comes full cycle. Now, we hear the word. I thank God that not only was my mother and my father sharing the word with us children, but I thank God that the preacher shared the word. And when he shared the word, the word was put out there in a process, in a form that my heart responded to it. Praise the Lord. And God not only wanted me to hear that, but God wanted to bring that word full cycle, full term. And when it came full term and full cycle, there was the process of birthing in my spirit. I thank God for that. And as far as we know, there's never been a time when the spirit wind was not at work moving upon the word of God. He said, my word will not return unto me void, bless God. And so when the seed goes out, when the seed goes out, there is a response. There is something that takes place and transpires upon the Word of God in the individual's heart. But no man can control this wind. Whenever, however, or wherever it can be done. A, mo a woman could actually be raped, and we know that's been the case. She could be raped and impregnated. That, that, that's an awful thing to think about. And so oftentimes, when in that case, people will think about abortion. I'm not here this morning to tell you anything one way or other about the woman's choice. But I'm simply saying when that seed is implanted, generally follows through that there will be an impregnation. You know, we can see the rain. We can see the snow. We can see the lightning strike. But you can't see the wind. You can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Ghost. Not in that spirit that is blowing. It's the mysterious hand of God doing and accomplishing His mysterious work. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's, let's go all the way over in the New Testament. 1 Peter Chapter 1, I've entitled the message, Holy Ghost Growth and Development. They said when I was a young boy, I, of course, knew nothing about it because I was a pretty young age. We lived in Oklahoma City. And they said that uh, they believed that I had something called polio. You don't hear much about that anymore. It was, uh, you know, it was pretty well known back in probably the 50s and, and the, huh? Yeah, and before that. Uh, they had said that they believed that I had a, a polio. Well, of course, 
it didn't end up that way. And I don't know what I was going through at that time, but I do know that mom and dad, of course, uh, believed, and I believe that they prayed for me, and I believe they really, you know, just held fast that that wasn't going to be the case. If their prayers were answered, then that was truly a miracle. But I believe that regardless of that report, I developed. What does that mean? It means I went from that early stage in life and went through all of that process, but everything began to develop, everything began to grow, and it was pretty much what we would call normal. And really, when you think about the Holy Spirit and the being born again of the Spirit, it's really a normal thing. It's a normal thing that comes as a result of the Word of God moving, as I said, upon an individual's heart. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by, and look at this, this is exactly what we're speaking about here this morning, by the Word of God. Now, let me read that again, but I'll leave the seed part out. Born again... By the word of God, and then if I looked over in chapter 2 at verse 2, which we know in the Bible there was actually no divisions or separation in that word or that thought, I'll say it this way. Born again by the word of God, so as a newborn babe desired the sincere milk of the word that we may or ye may grow thereby. So we know the first thing that a baby wants after a baby is born, it's hungry. It wants the milk of its mother. It wants milk where it may grow by. Again, unless the Holy Spirit moves upon the Word of God, unless it brings performance in the heart, no man can be birthed of the Spirit. But we're not dealing with an aborted word this morning. We're dealing with after the new birth as a babe. We feed on the sincere, genuine, honest milk of the word, and we grow and we develop thereby. That's what we would call being, you know, nurtured enough that there would be some development as a result of the word. So I would ask most all of us, if we look back on our life, may have been in a church you know, it's not uncommon for people to have been in a church a long time and really never been born again. Amen? Somebody says, well, was it their fault? Well, you never really know for sure whose fault it was. But there has to be a movement upon the Word of God. I mean, there has to be that. Even if a woman becomes impregnated in the womb, there had to be some sort sort of an action. Amen? And when we think, when we about, think it, about it, it doesn't it take doesn't much thought to understand that the devil doesn't like that. Like that. Somebody said, well, 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 God brought this little child into the earth, you know, and, and, and really look at it in a lot of ways and say, well, God didn't allow this. Well, there's a million things that could have happened that the child, you know, wasn't as developed as it should have been when it was born. Sometimes it's a result of the father. Could be the seed, you know, that was passed on. Could have been hereditary. Could have been the child uh, was, uh, you know, uh, the mother was not 
doing what she properly should have done. We don't always understand that. But can, can I get this into maybe your thought patterns this morning? It definitely was not God. Now, somebody could say, well, yeah, you know, it might have been God. He might have been punishing the people. But I'm saying if I look in the Spirit, in the Spirit, uh, the Bible says even of Jesus, it says that he didn't come to condemn the world. Well, he didn't really need to because the world was already condemned. But that was not his purpose for coming. His purpose was to bring a way of salvation. Even though we have sinned and taken on that nature of Adam, as being sinful, if we were born again in the Spirit, bless God, then God would certainly not be the kind of God that would want to, you know, put people in some sort of a mangled shape. Now, I know there's a lot of things in life that can happen, but when I grew up, there's probably none of, none of us that ever went to a school that there wasn't some children in our school system that was had some type of a deformity or some type of a mental uh, issue. And oftentimes people would want to relate that to the Almighty God. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Yes, He is. I like the word <laughs> that uh, really assures us that when this life is over... There will be no more deformity. There will be no more of these issues that we have faced as a result of sin. That's where it all came from. As a result of sin brought on all of these problems. And somebody says, well, Brother Lee, you think that uh, somebody even with a mental, a mental capacity that never developed beyond a certain age could actually ever be born again or actually ever... Um, you know, understand God enough to be saved. Well, I, I think that issue is left up to God. I, I believe in that. God's going to do the right thing. Amen. I don't need to judge that one way or the other. I do know that's an important thing for the parents uh, to bring up the child in the ways of the Lord and you know, those kind of things. And I think until that child is of the age of accountability, I think that child perhaps uh, his destination is in the hands of his parents. Now, that's just the way I see it. Now, that may, you know, I could be off on that. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're to desire, we're to desire that sincere, sincere milk of the Word. Now, you see, it comes back to the Word, whether it's the meat of the Word or the milk of the Word, doesn't make any difference. It's the Word that the Holy Ghost moves upon. And so there will be growth and there will be development. I want to go to Mark chapter 4. I want to look at verse number 6. Mark chapter 4, verse number 6. At, at verse number 26. And he said, speaking of the Lord, so is the kingdom of God or the Father. It's as if a man should cast seed into the ground. It takes seed to bring about the growing process. He should sleep. He would rise night and day. And the seed would spring forth and grow, but he knoweth not how. It's like the wind thought. No man knows where 
the wind has last come from, and no man knows where the wind currently is going to go. But God does. The, the, the whole idea of this thing is not knowing where and when and all of that kind of stuff. The whole idea is that it's God that's going to give the increase upon the word, bless God. For he shall sleep, he shall rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up. He knoweth not how, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. It takes patience. Somebody says, how come somebody else gets born again and seems like, you know, they, they start hitting on pretty good cylinders and spiritual things faster than someone else? Well, I don't have the answers for that. I don't have the answers for that. But I know if you're going to plant, you better be patient. Amen? You better be patient. What if every time a woman got uh, impregnated, uh, the next day she had a kid? Well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't state that maybe like it ought to be stated, but I'm just saying this. It would be a pretty populated world pretty fast, wouldn't it? But you patiently... You, you, you suffer long. You diligently wait. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. You know, that, that, that's amazing. But most of us, we understand that, that there is a process. There is a process. Somebody said, there ain't no process about being born. Yes, there is. There's a process about being born again. Number one, I think all we can do is just get, you know, is just let the word move upon us. I mean, knowing when and how. Some, yes, they say, well, I think that's when I was born again. And some say, you know, I, ne I never really knew that uh, moment or that time. I, I don't have a problem with either one of those. Not knowing exactly when it happened is not the important issue. Jesus' emphasis, his emphasis was being born. And so, in the book of John, he was talking about the second birth, and he was making that very plain. Now, I want to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Just sharing a little bit of Bible this morning. In Luke chapter 2, I want to look in verse number 39. Again, I've entitled the message, Holy Ghost Growth and Development. Now, here it's speaking of the child Jesus, Yeshua, and it says this in Luke 2 at verse 39. When they, speaking of his mother and his father, had performed all things according to the law of God, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now think about this. They had gone to church services, and there was many of them, I'm sure, that he traveled with. And the Bible says they had gone to church services, but then they come back to the city of Nazareth. The Bible says in verse number 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now verse 41 says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he, speaking of the Lord, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Verse 43, and when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not 
of it. Got all the way back. All the way back. And couldn't find baby Jesus. Isn't that something? Now, they didn't travel like we do. They didn't get there as fast as we get there. You could almost go to church oftentimes, and you could, you could almost literally not know that your child wasn't with you. I mean, you know, you get in the car and say your car was full of stuff and everything else. But they got all the way home, and they knew not that he was missing. Why? Verse 44, for they supposed him to have been in the company. Listen to this. Actually, they might not have got all the way home, for it says they had gone a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolks and acquaintances, which would be church folks and relatives. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. The first time they went to church, they was going to church. The second time when they went back, they was going to find Jesus. There's some real spiritual value in that right there. A lot of folks go to church to be going to church. And some folks goes to church because they know Jesus is in the church. Amen. Can I get an amen out of that? And the Bible says that they went back to Jerusalem seeking him. Now look at this in verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days, now think about that. They lost him in one day, and it takes three days to find him. Well, can you imagine how anxious and, uh, you know, how much uh, grief would be in your heart? You had your child, and then you ain't got your child, and now it takes you days and nights, and you still ain't got your child. It all started because they were going to church. Thank God for church. Thank God that God gives us a reason as he moves upon the word of God to know why we go to church in the first place. Hallelujah. The Bible says... And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. He was sitting in the midst of the doctors. He was hearing them and he was asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? For behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be, ooh, hallelujah, about my father's business. Oh, that's powerful. And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. Now listen to this. Then what did he do? He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. And he increased, verse 52, in wisdom. He increased in stature. And he increased in the favor with God and man. Oh, my. How does that all happen? 
Well, it happens in a process. It happens, uh, you know, in a move of what we would call development. When it says that he increased in wisdom, he increased mentally. When it says that he increased in stature, it means he, he increased in his physical being. When it says and when he, he uh, increased in favor with God and man, he increased spiritually. Mark 4 said first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. Now I have a few things here in my notes that I have written down about what has transpired here. And I want you to just give a little thought to it. Everything lost is done by neglect. Somebody says, well, why is my children lost? Why are they behaving like they're behaving? Well, I'm not saying it's all your fault. I'm not saying it's all the father's or the mother's fault. But I'm saying you don't lose something if you keep your eye on it. Isn't that right? You won't lose your children. You won't lose your marriage. You won't lose your salvation. You won't lose the Holy Ghost. The Bible also gives us a principle that it's possible to lose Jesus in one day and not even know it. They didn't even know it until they started looking for him. They didn't miss him until it got dark. That's like the storms that we're living in today. They're all around us. The skies, you know, are some, some signs of heaven is being shown in the skies. And when they lost him and when they began to seek him, where did they look for him? They looked for him among their family and their friends. But he wasn't there. What was lost in one day cost three days of anxious search to find. And one of the good things I like about this is this. You'll always find Jesus right where you left him. Somebody says, you know, God followed me all the days of my life. I went out there like that, uh, that, like that prodigal son. And God was right with me. Well, that ain't what the Word says. The Bible says the Father was looking for him. And he was standing out in front of the property. You understand what I'm saying? And he was praying, I'm sure. And he was asking God to bring his son home. But when he got home, there was his father waiting for him. Now, I know it sounds good to say God was with me through all of that. I'm not saying that God couldn't with you. I'm just saying, in essence, that's not how it generally goes. Another thought is this. Never be afraid to seek for Jesus' presence again, but fear when you can't find him. They were fortunate. They were very fortunate. They found him right where they left him. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to keep you long here this morning. I'm going to get in there like Dustin says. I'm going to look around. I better see some chicken right, right up front. Uh, 
you know, you can shower with me with a lot of blessings, but if you withhold in the chicken, the fried chicken, Regina, now she eats a little different than a lot of us, but Regina, and bless her heart, she has to do it. But that fried chicken, that southern fried chicken, that crunchy, I always like the crunchies. Mama used to always let me scrape the bottom of the skillet. She saved that for me. Oh, wasn't that good. You make the gravy, but she let me get the crunchy stuff, you know, that was really right around there. And I love that. So I'm not going to keep you too long. Now, I want to go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to look here at verse number 26. Romans 8, 26 says this. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. I like that. It helps me have another reason for wanting the Holy Spirit to be present in me and to help me as I walk through life. Because I do have infirmities, I have afflictions, I have needs, I have things in the physical and things in the spiritual that the Holy Spirit uh, can help me with. Because, verse 26, 26 says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, sometimes we don't even know how to pray and what to pray for properly. So there's such a great need for the Holy Spirit. For He searches the hearts and He knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He hath make, He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, now, we've read this many times in times past, but you might not have ever thought about it, that it's in this place in the book of Romans, which is basically the book of life in the Spirit. And look at, let's read it now with all of that I've said this morning in, in context. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That word means changed or, again, conformed. Now, of course, here He's not speaking of the physical, and He's not speaking of physical predestination. Oftentimes, when I used to hear the message of predestination, you know, I'd think, well, you know, that would mean some's predestined to fail and some's predestined to not fail. But if I read it in full context, he's talking about being predestined in the Spirit to be conformed to the image of the Heavenly Father's Son. I really don't have a problem with that. We've got to be predestined to be conformed to that image. How's that happen? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost indwelling to bring about the incentive to godliness. You see... You don't just automatically have an incentive for godliness. You wouldn't know anything about godliness if you didn't hear the word, if the word wasn't moved upon by the Holy Spirit, or if somebody hadn't shared that with you, or if God hadn't made a revelation of that to you. 
you would have a, an incentive to just go on. You, you know, I'm not saying everybody that's walking in the flesh is, is a vile person. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. And therefore, if I didn't come out of the, just the flesh and blood state, I'd never have a possibility of, of having life eternal. That's pretty simple. Amen? But when I think about it, I think about what the Holy Spirit does to me and to you. He brings that incentive to godliness. It's actually an inducement to do something about things. And to do something about things in a godly fashion, in a godly matter. It's a stimulus. Sometimes we need a stimulus. Sometimes when past presidents have wanted to get the economy going, stick a little stimulus in there. Uh, give it a little jump start. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And, and I've often thought, well, you know, that, that does work. And, and so God's doing the same thing through the Holy Spirit as He dwells in our being. He gives us the incentive to godliness. He induces us to do something. He gives us that stimulus. He gives us that catalyst. He gives us that motivation. He gives us just a little bit of a push. When I met Connie, I might not have married her, but she's pretty pushy about the marriage thing. <laughs> Do you hear me? <laughs> I tell you what, she's the most generous, loving person. And you talk about she has never been pushy. But sometimes, and I don't see the Holy Spirit as being pushy, but he gives you that little nudge. Amen. He gets you to conform. He, he gets you to the place where you can uh, uh, really uh, not, I don't like the word transform so much because there's a lot of things get uh, conformed and transformed actually work in opposition to each other. But the Bible says be, be conformed not to this world. Uh, so I have to kind of go along with that. Uh, we're to not walk according to the course of this old world. Uh, we're to let the issues of eternity speak to our heart. And there's really only two, there's only two walks in life. One is the course of the world, and the other is a walk with Christ. I want to take you real quick to Romans chapter 13. Real, real quick, Romans chapter 13. One, one verse of Scripture here. And Paul says in the 14th verse of chapter 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Make no provisions for the flesh. Well, we, we have to understand what that's saying because we could actually, uh, you know, we could, we could misinterpret that and we could certainly go the wrong direction in a lot of that thinking. But it literally means to sink into a garment. It's like sinking into a garment. It's being submerged. It's, it's descending. It's digging into. It, it, it's investing. And that's what you do when it says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that substance of Christ is what we've got to search for. Can't be seen with the human eye. It's of the divine nature. In fact, it's of the divine nature, which is the quality associated with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It is a state of 
being. It never wears out. It never gets old. It's always fresh, and it's always living. Think about the children of Israel. They had to wear the same shoes, same shoes for 40 years. 40 years. But the Bible says they didn't wear out upon their feet, and the Bible says neither was their feet swollen. I was thinking about them same old, I never was one to like sandals on a man. That just just ain't right. Forgive me, it just ain't right. Now that's me. Those flip-flops are not for a man. Forgive me. Now in my day... I know things changed, and I don't really have a problem with someone wearing a sandal or a flip-flop. I don't, a man wearing that. I really don't now, but I did. Now, think about the children of Israel real quick. Forty years wandering in the wilderness with the same shoes upon their feet, male and female. Forty years. They come up to... The city of Jericho, think about it. And they get word that, you know, the Lord's going to deliver that unto them. The wall, the mighty wall of Jericho is going to come falling down. And they're going to go on in. Now, can you imagine, probably they were some of the, the smarty pants, you know, over there in Jericho. Because that was an uppity city. And they might have laughed at the shoes that was upon the children of Israel's feet. But God looks at the feet of the righteous, and they were righteous in that time. The Bible says he beheld no, when, when Balaam come up to put a curse upon him, the Bible said uh, he beheld no, uh, what was it, um, uh, enchantment. There, there was nothing in Jacob that he saw at that time that wasn't satisfactory unto the Lord. Now, somebody says, yeah, but what if? Yeah, I know all of that. I know they weren't perfect in that, all that. But there was the state uh, that they were in that the Lord had accepted them for what they hath and not for what they hath not. So he couldn't put a curse upon the children of God. Neither could the children there in Jericho. They might look at them and say, oh, look at them. Oh, wore out. I mean, they, they ain't falling off, but maybe they showed a little tatter. And they could, but one thing for sure, they could do this. They could hear them going clippity-clamp, clippity-clamp, clippity-clamp all around that massive city. And they done it exactly as the Word of God said. And what happened? The walls of Jericho came falling down. Second Peter 1, 3, real quick, Second Peter 1, 3. Now, I know when food is done... It, right now, it's in the simmering process. So I've got a few more minutes here, and I want to close within that few minutes. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Wow, that is, a, that is quite a phrase. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. This is what God wants us to partake of. 
having escaped the corruption that is in this world. And besides this, giving all diligence, so watch this how it begins to stack up, add to your faith, virtue. And then add to that virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. They'll make you as blind and cannot see. You become barren. You become unfruitful. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. This is why the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is bringing you to growth and development in the Word of God. Now, I want to close with Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Now, I'll just close here real quick in about eight verses. Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. This is Abraham's wife. Verse 2. Sarah conceived. She bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Verse 6, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Verse 7, And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have bore him a son in his old age. Now, I want you to watch this in verse number 8. And the child did what? The child grew. And then the day come that what happened? The child was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast that same day that Isaac was weaned. Now, can you imagine what it was like in that house when Isaac was weaned? Abraham had called for a great party. They had had a great party, great feast, great time. And I'm sure Abraham slept well that night. But what about Isaac? And what about his mother Sarah? Can I tell you, are you probably probably trouble with Abraham's house? Can I say something to you this morning? I often it's less as our mistakes for one reason, and that's because we are blessed. But only until Isaac appears. He was a child of promise then that which is of the flesh has to be driven out. God's eternal purpose is never brought about through disobedience. But when God says, wait, you need to wait, and you need to become patient. You see, the seed you sow 
in your impatience will raise up to haunt you. It'll rise up to haunt you. And so you have to wait for Holy Ghost growth and development. Can I say in closing, all of our children weaned well, except, huh? Brian weaned well. Alicia weaned well. Dustin, I swore I'd never repeat this again some, some way. But when you have a pickup truck and your child's head is hitting the head, it's time to take away the bottle. Amen? Huh? I know. Where did he throw it? There he did. Yeah. He decided, he decided it was time to be weaned. <laughs> We're not going to say on that. Eventually, I'll put it to you this way in closing. Eventually, he weaned well. Eventually, he weaned well. Amen. Come on up, Dustin.